Now back to Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. He is a Cook County commissioner. He has worked with the Chicago Teachers Union, which uh, has thrown a lot of support behind his candidacy. Brandon Johnson joins us now to talk about his effort to become the next mayor of the city of Chicago. Brandon, it is so nice to talk to you again. Hey, Joan, it's great to be back on with you and to be with your listeners today. You know, I was uh, talking to my audience in the days after the WCPT mayoral forum. I asked people to text in and call in or email me what they thought, um, what really stood out. And I have to tell you, there was a lot of feedback about you. It was like people felt they were kind of discovering you for the first time. And they liked your energy. They liked your ideas. They were really impressed uh, with you. Have you found that, you, well, obviously you're gaining, your candidacy is gaining traction because now the Mayor White Lightfoot is focusing her attention on you, which is also kind of, uh, it's a kind of a left-handed compliment. But are you finding that people who didn't know about you before are discovering you and um, in a way that is very gratifying? Well, it, it certainly is refreshing and very exciting that our campaign is, has certainly caught fire and our, our movement is is growing and it's certainly stronger. So that certainly is um, really exciting. And, and in fact, I mean, it's really a testament to the people of Chicago um, for a very long time in this city. As you know, Joan, that the politics of old have left so many of our families behind. And, you know, this you know really well-documented tale of two cities in which those who have uh, tend to keep and protect and gain more and those with very little, uh, we continue to experience loss. That that type of um, stratified structure is just, it's not sustainable. It's never been um, equitable, but it's at this point it's has left, you know, all of us feeling, you know, less safe and experiencing um, a lot more despair. So to know that the listening audience of WCPT um, is reacting to our to our campaign is certainly not just gratifying, but it, you know, it's, 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 um, I don't know, it's very comforting. I mean, because I look at WCPT as, you know, this is family, you know, I've, from the time that I've, you know, have been a guest host or to running my own show, um, to know that you know, the individuals who, who come to this particular space for their news recognizes that their values, um, are not radical. Our values are not extreme. I mean, these are, um, you know, well thought out proposals and plans and desires of the city of Chicago. And I'm very much excited to be able to voice those, those demands and those desires and more importantly, those hopes. We, um, here at, uh, WCPT, you know, we've got some questions, um, some issues we'd like you to address, but I've also opened up my, uh, text line and other forms of communication to the listeners. And I was really interesting. We've gotten, Oh, I don't know. Um, we've gotten a lot of questions from listeners. And what I think is interesting is, you know, as you know, Brandon, when you do the forums or an interview like this, a lot of times it tends to be sort of big picture stuff that, that we want to talk about. But the questions that I'm getting from the audience are really 
very, very nitty gritty. Like, for instance, I know at every forum you talk about public safety and what you want to do to bring about public safety. But let me read you this question that came in from Mary. I'm very concerned about the, oh no, that's not the one. Um, this is, this is not from Mary. Mary's, we'll get to Mary. This is, uh, from another listener. Um, it is a fact that a lot of Chicago police have been accused of abusing their authority as police. But how do we help those good police who want to continue as police remain safe and out of danger while on the job? And it's kind of, it's public safety oriented, but it's a very, most of the listeners have very specific questions. How do we help the good police stand up and fight a system that seems to support at least covering up for bad police? Yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, it's a concern that we all have, particularly about public safety, but in particular, um, you know, the fact that we have people in law enforcement, like many of our institutions, where you have individuals who don't, you know, abide by, um, you know, a, a code of conduct or ethics um, that, that that people would expect from individuals who are, you know, committed or at least in, in theory or, or, or have made some presentation that they're committed to serving and protecting and look, those failures exist in all of our institutions. I'm a public school teacher. Many of your listeners probably know that by now. And even within our, our public school system, we have individuals that that do not possess the cultural competency that's required. So is it a recruitment issue? Is it a training issue? I mean, I think part of it is, you know, one, they should not have to serve alongside individuals who are known, um, you know, members of white supremacists organizations, right? And so... You mean like the uh, recently reinstated police officer who's an open member of the Proud Boys? That's correct. I mean, that, that has to be demoralizing for a police force when you're out here serving and protecting communities of color in particular. And, you know, there are individuals of the force um, who, who subscribe by a different ideology, which could be quite damning and threatening. But the other dynamic, Joan, is the fact that we are asking police officers to do too much. And it's a very similar dynamic with, with teachers, right? You know, with almost 40% of the 911 calls are mental health crises. You know, police officers shouldn't be asked to be social workers and marriage counselors, mm-hmm. right? But that's why I'm committed to passing treatment, not trauma. We're going to do that in the first 100 days. Because if once we pass treatment, not trauma, we're going to have on the front line mental health crisis specialists, social workers, therapists, individuals who can help diffuse and de-escalate situations because that is a part of their profession. It doesn't mean that officers should not have training, right? That can help broaden their approach because they are, you know, serving in a large city. However, if over 40% of the violence that happens in the city of Chicago, it takes place in 6% of the city. So we know where it is most likely to take place. This is about having smart policing. And having service frontline responders who can deal with the crises at hand, this would eliminate some of the situations in which officers are being forced into. Look, as a worker, I'm very conscious of having a safe, healthy working environment. And as mayor of the city of Chicago, um, you're going to have a worker on the fifth floor 
who understands the dynamics of the day-to-day routine of serving this city. And whether you are an officer, a firefighter, a nurse, teacher, a bus operator, train operator, I have the lived experience of knowing what it's like to be in a work environment where you're not respected and that you don't have um, the type of investments and supports that's needed in order for you to do your job effectively. So that's the specific thing that I'm going to do right away. Because if we don't do Let that, me ask you about that in a little bit more detail, though, because I, it makes perfect sense on paper to say, okay, the data shows us this is where crime is most likely to happen. That's where we're going to send police. But oftentimes in my conversations with the people uh, who live in those areas is they start to feel like the police aren't there to help, but that there are, there's so many of them that they start to feel like it's an occupying force. That is how one listener described it to me. It felt like the police were an occupying force. And by the same token, you take those extra police away from, say, you know, Lincoln Park or uh, or the area around Wrigley Field, and, you know, wealthy people call police and they have to wait um, 15, 20 minutes for a response, they are not going to be happy. And, you know, let's face it, a lot of the wealthy people who live in the city of Chicago, they're donors, they're movers, they're shakers. They don't want to sit by and wait 20 minutes for a cop car to show up because the preponderance of the force is has been deployed where crime is most prevalent. It's a great idea on paper, but um, people have found that the execution of it can be a little messy what are your thoughts on how you would execute it and avoid those problems? Well, let me just make sure that I'm clear. Like, public safety is not more police. That's, that's not what I'm getting at. So I want to make sure I'm clear about that. Public no, but I'm saying exactly that. If you take the police that are there and, and shift a preponderance of them to certain neighborhoods, those neighborhoods are going to feel overwhelmed and some of the places the police have been taken from might feel underserved. So this is not about shifting. This is about being smart is what I'm getting at. Okay. Because look, I live, I live in the communities in which you're talking about. Look, black people, I'll just say it, all right? Black people call police more than anyone else in this city, and we hate when they show up, right? It's a very, very interesting dynamic, right, because of trust that has been broken and that there's a great deal of skepticism. And you're right. I don't want to come home. I live in Austin on the west side of Chicago. I don't want to come home with sirens and blue lights. That doesn't feel like home. What I'm getting at is that if 40% of the calls that are coming through 911 are mental health crises, you're putting police officers in position where everyone is going to be less safe, is what mm-hmm. I'm getting at. By having individuals the front line who can respond to what the 911 call actually is that frees up law enforcement to be distributed so that no one is waiting 20, 30 minutes for someone to show up. I merely stated that over 40% of the violence happens in 6% of the city, just to give some context that if you distribute it in the, in the way in which it should be done in a smart way, by making sure that law enforcement is not responding to calls that they shouldn't have to, and two, that they're able to be freed up to respond to whatever the needs are, that by having smarter policing, we can predict to a large extent 
where violence and poverty per capita, like Garfield Park, for instance, that I represent on the County Board of Commissioners, we know those spaces need far more investment, right? And, and, and that's what the public safety plan is really about. It's not just about promoting detectives within the rank and file or executing the consent decree with far more expediency. It's about doubling the amount of young people that we're going to hire when I'm elected mayor of the city of Chicago. There's a direct correlation between youth employment and violence reduction. Again, passing treatment, not trauma, to make sure that we have mental health services available to Chicagoans. That's why I'm committed to reopening um, the mental health centers so they're going to be publicly funded and run, right? These are all dynamics that contribute to a safer Chicago. And these are the things that I've been promoting well before I've been running for office. I just happen to be in the position as a result of the movement that has propelled and prepared me for this moment. I'm speaking with Chicago mayoral candidate Brandon Johnson. We are going to take a very quick one-minute break and be back with more after this. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. I'm joined by Brandon Johnson, who is going to be on the February 28th ballot in the city of Chicago to be the next mayor. And uh, we have talked about public safety. I want to move on to the subject of schools, school funding, um, how they should be run. All of these issues have come up over and over again. The idea of vouchers, uh, kind of, uh, that was kind of an idea supported by Bruce Rauner. Uh, people say vouchers, which give people basically money to send their kids to private or religious schools, that those are killing the public schools. I've even heard complaints from some quarters that um, maybe Chicago shouldn't have magnet schools, the schools that you usually have to test to get into and that um, are known for rigorous academic standards. Big discussion about schools. One of my listeners was much more succinct than I just was, Brandon, and they texted in, what is your proposal to create equitable schools and equitable school funding? Yeah, it's a great question. It's top of mind for me. Um, you know, again, as a public school teacher, I, I can tell you firsthand um, that those disparities are real. Um, you know, having taught in Cabrini Green at a neighborhood elementary school um, centered in the housing projects of Cabrini Green, while also teaching at a selective enrollment high school on the west side of Chicago where people have to compete just to be able to access, you know, you know, a, a, a free education. So, and again, my, my, my children are also um, students in our Chicago public school system. So I have, I, have, I have all the incentive in the world for our public school system to actually thrive and work. And the bottom line is this, is that as mayor of the city of Chicago, voting for me means you're actually going to have someone who believes in public education, one. Two, we fought six years ago to, to shift the, um, the funding formula so that schools can be funded based on need and not per population. Um, the mayor of Chicago has refused to embrace, um, literally has refused to embrace um, that component. 
And so as a result of that, because we are spending per pupil and not on need, the city of Chicago is missing out on $1 billion of school funding. And what does that look like in real life? What that means is um, the west side of Chicago, for instance, only has one librarian. One librarian for the entire west side of the city of Chicago. I mean, these are the type of gross disparities that have been um, pervasive for too long. We're going to change that. And one of the models in which we're going to use to shift that is called the Sustainable Community Schools Model. And so we fought for that as an organizer. We have 20 sustainable community schools. And, and what it does is it makes sure that every single school has a baseline of support. A social worker, counselor, um, a librarian, all of the schools should have a baseline, right? But there are some schools that have been neglected for so long, we need to provide additional resources and make sure that they are community controlled and led. So Byler Elementary on the west side of Chicago is a good example. Rahm had it on his list to close. We fought to keep it open. We make it a sustainable community school, and now it is one of the models for the entire school district. And what happened was the parents there decided to use those additional resources to have a community-based organization provide mental health support for students and families, um, the community garden. I mean, a lot of just different things that they did to bring the community together, to have additional staff, again, to provide more restorative justice. As a result of this, fights have gone down, suspensions have gone down, academics have gone up, participation for parents has gone up. Third thing is we have to make sure that we have a real high school plan. And in my education plan, we laid that out along with child care for all, uh, for our education system. Children will get to ride the bus for free because students should not have to find a ride to get to a school, especially if it's not their fault that they don't have a school in their own neighborhood. This really comes down to someone willing to work with people. So the final thing is, this is why we fought for an elected representative school board. The mayor's office is not going to be our parents or our grandparents' mayor's office any longer. We've actually brought more democracy to the city of Chicago. This is something that is unprecedented, particularly for the city of Chicago and the politics of today, where voting rights are being restricted. We actually expanded that. And so as mayor of Chicago, I would be a staunch advocate for not just funding, but making sure that we're providing the type of support services that our students need. Students need to be exposed to art, the music, music, theater, um, drama. Do you have a problem with the existence of magnet schools? So I think what magnet schools have done, they have actually caused more stratification in the city of Chicago. It's not so much that they have a problem with it. The question is, does it work for everyone? And the answer is emphatically, no, it does not. In fact, we know that the white students in particular make up roughly 8% of the student population, but they make up the vast majority of students in selective enrollment schools. I mean, like the, the vast majority, right? And so there's uh, an equitable distribution of who has access to a fully funded school, right? So it's not so much having a problem, quote unquote, with a particular style, right? It's more or less what has worked. And this particular formation has not worked. And so this is why we have to invest in our neighborhood schools. And as mayor of the city of Chicago, that is what I'm dedicated to. That's what I'm committed to. Because in my case, with my own children, our oldest, we live in Austin. Our oldest, we drop them off in Hyde Park to go to Kenwood. Our two youngest, we drop them off near you all, um, um, up by where the station is. We're, up, we're in Portage Park. 
right? We love those school communities. We appreciate those school communities, but we attend those, those school communities because they offer things that our neighborhood schools do not. So my son, for instance, he plays the violin. There's not a full operating orchestra neighborhood school on the west side of Chicago. So he goes to Kenwood, right, or he attends Kenwood. So these are some of the basic things that we can do and offer, not to mention making sure that we're creating affordable housing, reliable transportation, again, making sure that there are neighborhoods that are walkable so that walking to school, having an affordable home in which you can live in, you know, we have, what, almost 20,000 students who are unhoused right now in the city of Chicago. These are the dynamics that, that I will face the moment that I'm sworn in. And, and how we address them is basically uh, it's contingent upon our ability to organize people and bring them together to solve these challenges collectively as a city. And I've done it already. I've done it as an organizer, as a Cook County commissioner, and I'm confident that the people of Chicago vote for me to become the next mayor of the city of Chicago, you're going to have a school system that everyone can be proud of. We have uh, just a few minutes before we're going to break for news, so let me ask you some quick questions. Again, as I said, the questions texted in by listeners were very, very specific. Okay, if the Bears leave, are you going to petition the uh, National Football League to try to get another team? You know, honestly, I wouldn't hope... (laughs) Haven't thought about that one a lot? (laughs) You thought about that one so much, honestly, but I think okay, I'm hoping that the Bears hold on a little bit more. I can talk. Hopefully, we can convince them to stay. Um, how do you feel about the casino? Not that there's anything we can do about it at this point in time. Just we have to make sure that the revenue, um, you know, is distributed in a way that actually per- provides for a safer, stronger city. And, and it has to make sure our go ahead locally. And uh, somebody else asked, um, what do you think of the planned NASCAR race in downtown Chicago, which has, while there may be an influx of tourist dollars, though that might be debatable, has been kind of controversial because it's a lot of people are saying it was done very quickly. It was a deal done without transparency. And everybody seems to be a little bit unclear as to what, if any, disruption or damage it'll do to the area around the lakefront. How do you feel about the uh, NASCAR race? I feel like what, how everybody else feels about it. It wasn't done in a collaborative way. There's no transparency. Um, it's obviously very quite disruptive. It's going to be, whether whether it intends to be or not, it's going to be disruptive. I mean, you're shutting down lanes over the course of a period of time. I mean, I think it, what it says is that the mayor of Chicago is just unwilling to collaborate and work with people to build consensus, even if it's a good idea, which in this case I don't believe it is, that you still have to engage people. Um, well, let's see. We have just a tiny little bit of time. One more real quick question. As mayor, would you advocate for a Department of Environment, something we don't have in the city of Chicago yet? So absolutely. It's a part of my plan. Not only the department, it makes sure that it's fully funded. Within the first 100 days of my administration, we're going to pass a cumulative impact study. Um, that's going to be important so that we actually have some direction where we need to go um, environmentally. Look, I stood with the families on the southwest side and the southeast side as pollutants were trying to come in and an explosion took place. You just saw a report that came out yesterday or 
today, uh, just the, the, the warning that the mayor's office had, and she just ignored it. One of my workers was a part of the hunger strike there on the southeast side of Chicago. Uh, look, I grew up with asthma. I still struggle with it. Um, environmental justice and climate justice, two very top of mind, um, a fully funded, expanded department so that we actually can have you know, a very healthy, strong environment. That's what I want for my family. I want that for every single family in the city of Chicago. I'm talking to mayoral candidate Brandon Johnson. We are going to take a break from uh, this conversation to bring you the news. We'll be back right after the news. I do want to remind you, I am still getting texts from people who uh, want to ask Mr. Johnson a question. 773-763-9278. We're going to probably open up the phone lines if you want to ask him your question in person, but we are certainly taking text questions on that line. We will be back with much more after this. Did you know you can text Joan at the same number you used to call us? 773-763-9278. Thanks to our texting sponsor, Camp Kupugani. Register today at multiculturalcamp.com. Text away, 773-763-9278. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. The reason that I listen to you from the infamous other side, you will call a spade a spade, and if it's indefensible, you will not defend it. And you know what? I can respect that. I'm telling you, CPT. We are speaking with Brandon Johnson, who would like to be the next mayor of Chicago. His name will be on the ballot that you cast in the city of Chicago this coming Tuesday, February 28th, two weeks from today, as a matter of fact. By the way, happy Valentine's Day, Brandon. Hey, thank you very much. Tomorrow uh, marks the uh, 27th anniversary of my wife and I's first date, the day after things, um, the day after Valentine's Day. Ah, first, we call that first date anniversary. Mine's February 28th, but I will be covering your potential election that night and not, not be out with my partner. But that's, but that's quite fine with, with me. Um, I have to talk to you. You were actually the subject. And I don't know that they did this with anybody else. You were the subject of your very own editorial in Crane's Chicago Business the end of January. And um, being a business publication, they were concerned about the taxes that you had suggested. You know, we always hold candidates' feet to the fire. You know, they every candidate has a lot of ideas for programs. But most candidates are pretty vague when you ask them, okay, that's great, that's a wonderful idea, how are you going to fund it? You kind of got the opposite take. You were like, these are the ways that I think we should fund these programs. And people were like, oh, no, you can't, you can't do, you can't do this. Um, and right now, I think the, I think the most recent attack on you, um, from Lori Lightfoot, is a proposal f- that you put forward that's basically a sort of tax the rich a little bit more. I believe it's, um, um, you want to put a 3.5% tax on anybody who makes more than $100,000 a year. No, uh, at least that's what Lori said you said. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> that's not true. And so we don't have to repeat that anymore. Look, the Chicago Sun-Times printed that in air. They said it was a mistake. They retracted that. Lori knows that. It's not in my budget plan. It's not. You know, when my wife and I bought our first home, we made a combined income of $80,000. I was a full-time teacher, and I was with a master's degree plus. 
And I believe um, uh, my wife was a public employee as well. I believe she was at somewhere around $30,000. We were the richest people in our family. We made it, had a combined income of $80,000. And we needed two government assistant programs to help us purchase our first home. You know, so this notion, you know, that middle class, working class people, um, you know, would have the responsibility of funding and protecting um, our future is, is just not true. And, and, and there's a reason why the mayor of Chicago is being dishonest because she has broken every single promise, literally every single promise that she made. And so now the city of Chicago is prepared to move on from her. And she is trying to enlist some, some scare tactics to get people, you know, thrown off, but it's not going to work. Obviously our campaign is still catching fire. Here's what my budget plan lays out. And I'm glad you actually articulated this point that I'm telling you the truth. These other candidates, they're not being honest with you. First of all, they're not being honest about how we got here, right? The, the reality of it is, is that the failures of Paul Dallas, he was the budget um, director um, in the 90s, whether it was for the Chicago Public Schools or for Mayor Daley, that led us into this economic despair. Everywhere he has gone, literally, everywhere he has gone, he has been fired because he just he doesn't budget well. Um, they, they've kicked the can down the road with pensions. Um, they took the dedicated revenue stream and put it into the general coffers of the city of Chicago. And they made sure that the, that the ruling class of the city of Chicago was taken care of. And now here we are, we have to face the reality that we have a structural deficit of which I put in my budget plan, how I'm going to eliminate it. We find a half a billion dollars in savings. Um, we raise another half a billion dollars from from corporations, from a real estate transfer tax, from a financial transaction tax, um, the jet fuel tax. I mean, we have these big, large planes who are polluting the, the, the world. They should have to pay, um, you know, for us to be able to um, find mitigation to, to, to deal with the pollution. But I was talking to Greg Hines, and he said that that actually isn't, it isn't legal that municipalities cannot levy taxes like that on uh, their airports, that that was not something that you would be able to do as mayor of the city of Chicago. For anyone to suggest that the mayor of the city of Chicago doesn't have influence in Springfield to be able to get policies passed, then <laughs> he surely didn't have those concerns when, when Rahm Emanuel was mayor. Of course, I understand the process, the parliamentary process, just like a progressive income tax has to come from Springfield. I don't need to be lectured by Greg Hines, you know, or anyone else about how we actually move revenue. The point of the matter is, is that if we want a better, stronger, safer Chicago, we have to invest in people. No one else has put forth the budget plan because why? They're going to raise property taxes. That's what they're going to do because that's what they've done. I am not raising property taxes. There is no 3.5 income tax on those who make $100,000 a year or more. There is no income tax in our proposal at all. We make it very... What about um, the other, the head tax that you suggested, $4 per worker per month, an employee head tax? Yeah, it's a good idea. It's been around for 40 years. Rahm Emanuel eliminated it because corporations got tired of doing the paperwork. We can fix that. Basically, what the corporate income, what the corporate head tax does is pretty straightforward. If you do 50 percent or more business in the city of Chicago as a larger corporation, once you get over a certain head, it's $4 a person. 
I mean, we're talking 20 to $40 million conservatively. The larger Again, when I was talking to Greg Hines about that, he said that that's a job killer and that that's why we got rid of it was because it was a job killer. Oh, what kills jobs is the fact that we don't have a state Chicago. Greg knows that and everyone knows that. It's just not true. Like, this is what I mean. Like, there are certain certain entities that are in place to try to protect the interests of corporations. Here's the thing, though. Clearly, President Joe Biden agrees with me. Didn't he say the same thing in his uh, in his State of the Union address, right? He said that a teacher and a firefighter should not pay the same tax rate as a billionaire. Like, what are we doing? Are we, a, are we progressives? Are we Democrats or what? Look. The city of Chicago is in peril, in despair, right? Because of the economic um, depravity and the stratification that has existed for so long, right? And it's not sustainable, Joe. Everybody knows that. I think recently, I think it was the Civic Committee of the Commercial Club of Chicago. Even they agree with me now that it's just no longer sustainable to continue to raise property taxes on individuals who are not even getting a return on our investment. We don't have fully funded schools. We don't have a reliable transportation system. It's becoming increasingly more unaffordable to live in the city of Chicago. So the question is, how do we reverse that and set up a new course for a better, stronger, safer Chicago? The way you do it is you invest in people, and you do ask those with means who have the ability to pay to do it. And here's the encouraging part, though, Joan. When we were organizing for the progressive income tax, though it did not pass because the entire state, um, you know, put it forth for a referendum, 71% of Chicagoans said that those with means should put more skin in the game. I mean, like the city of Chicago agrees with this. We're talking 71%, you know, so, I mean, this is not something that working people and middle-class folks who listen to this station this is not something that they don't understand. I'm confident that the people of Chicago recognize that if we're going to have a better, stronger, safer Chicago, we have to do what safe American cities do, and that's invest in people. And my budget plan does that without raising property taxes. We need to take a break. Brandon Johnson and I are talking about the issues that have come up in the mayor mayor's race. Uh, coming back, we're going to be talking about the problem of the unhoused and affordable housing, and uh, many other things that you have suggested in your texts. We'll be right back after this. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Every weekday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. on WCPT 820. We are talking to mayoral candidate Brandon Johnson. We have one last segment to go. Uh, we're going to go to the phone lines. Brian from Joliet has a quick question for you, Brandon. Uh, Brian, go ahead. You, you're on with me and Brandon Johnson. Good afternoon. I'll be very quick. I have an article, Chicago Tribune, Business uh, Section 2, Sunday, August 9, 2015. Uh, CEO compensation, out-earning the workers by multiples. Uh, I don't imagine things have changed that much since then. I would like to ask uh, Brandon uh, how he would address this obscene uh, pay gaps uh, between the CEOs and the workers. And uh, good luck to you, Brandon. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks for that call, Brian. Though I'm not really sure that that's something within the power of a Chicago mayor to deal with. Brandon, uh, what's your response? 
Well, there is one component of that, and thanks for the call. You mentioned earlier, you know, that I'm the subject of like everyone's presentation, and that is really because I'm the only person who who put forth a plan, right? Because that's something that I want the, the voters of the city of Chicago to know, and all the residents of the city of Chicago, that I'm always going to tell people the truth. And one of the things that I put forth in my, my plan, my budget plan, as well as my public safety plan, is that this, uh, the staff to supervisory ratio is way out of whack. In fact, the national average is around 10 to 1, and ours is extremely bloated. And so we can actually find millions of dollars in savings by just streamlining our supervisory positions and putting them on par with national averages. Now, though we may not be able to, to impact CEO pay, right, the way the caller described, but what government can do is regulate its its performance in terms of staff to supervisory ratio because ours is really out of whack. But that's why, again, my, my tax-to-rich plan, which I'm clear about, real estate transfer tax, right? We're talking about homes that are worth over a million dollars. And again, larger corporations, um, you know, with the head tax. I mean, these are revenue generators that will come right from those CEOs because they have the ability to pay. And it's ultimately, it's ultimately what's going to keep our city uh, stronger and safer. We want a safe city. We have to invest in what works. And that's what my administration does. The real estate transfer tax that you are talking about boosting, that came pretty close to uh, having some movement in the Chicago City Council. Of course, that was the day that uh, quorum was lost. But that group wants to use a boost in the real estate transfer tax strictly to fund unhoused people getting houses. Um, that And um, here's a question we got from Mary. I'm very concerned about the unhoused and the lack of affordable, safe, decent housing. I know this is a very important issue to Mr. Johnson. I've seen news reports he attended gatherings with housing advocates. Can he describe some of the policies and actions he wants to take on this issue? Bring Chicago home really puts us in a good position to do that. Look, the revenue that we can generate from um, a mansion tax, essentially, or a a home over a million dollars, we're talking about public housing, one affordable housing and what we have to do is extend and expand the affordable housing ordinance so that more units can be um, uh, put online. I've done this as a Cook County Commissioner. I've built um, in collaboration two affordable housing units with seniors and um, we also broke ground on one and we did that within the first four years of my term. So it's possible but we also have to create a pathway to home ownership as well. As I mentioned, my wife and I, $80,000 combined. Um, we had two government assistant programs that helped us come up with the down payment of our home. With all of the vacancy that exists in the city of Chicago, the abandonment, we can put people to work to develop and rehab and repair and revive those homes and put them back on the housing market and then incentivize workers to actually purchase them. So you create more revenue by creating more jobs and you create you know more revenue by putting the homes that are vacant on the tax rolls. And what's most disappointing about all of this is, you know, the mayor of Chicago referred to these ideas as radical and extreme. And, and when the, the, the fact that she believes that making sure that people have homes and access to healthcare and jobs has radical ideas, you know, that just shows you how out of touch she is. But more importantly, it means we're in good company. If you believe in fully funded schools, access to healthcare, good paying jobs, 
a reliable transportation system and a better, stronger, safer Chicago. If you believe in that and you believe that's a radical concept, then we're all in good company. And I want people to punch number five, February 28th, <laughs> for the radical idea of making sure that we don't have unhoused people in the city of Chicago. One of the experts I talked to said that a lot of the money in the city of Chicago was shifted from funding shelters to trying to, you know, buy vacant land, you know, buy vacant motels, get some actual housing programs off the ground. The problem, the expert told me, was that there's a gap. You know, we reduced the number of shelter beds by half, but a lot of this housing isn't really ready to be occupied yet. So in the short term, the problem's gotten a lot worse. What kind of short-term measure would you put in place until some of those housing units come online? Look, I mean, here's the thing. that There are some, there are affordable housing units that are available. What happens is, and this is why we have to move on this ordinance right away, that you have major developers who leave vacancy on purpose. They would rather pay the fine than actually fill those vacant um, spaces with individuals from the working class or low income. That shifts immediately. And, and what that fine needs to look like in order to incentivize or to push people to do what's right for the residents of the city of Chicago, that's something that the entire city of Chicago will, will get to wrestle with. I'm going to collaborate and bring people together because that's what I've done as an organizer it's what I've done as a Cook County commissioner. Um, you know, there are 16 county commissioners besides myself, and that's 17. There's a board president, 11 constitutionally protected countywide elected officials, all of whom have dramatic and dynamic personalities. I've figured out how to work with them. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. here's a lot really important to me. I, I've shared this before. My brother, Leon, who my oldest brother, who had untreated trauma and died addicted and unhoused. And, and and we have to move with all expediency um, to address this issue because I believe the residents of the city of Chicago don't feel proud about being called a world-class city and you have people who are too poor to live in one of the richest cities and one of the wealthiest nations at the richest time in the history of the world. No one should be too poor to live um, in a city like Chicago and having a basic human right, like a house, health care, a job, transportation, right? These aren't radical ideas. These are sensible ideas that people have been pushing for for a long time, and they're finally going to have a mayor and me that's listening to them and prepared to actually do it. We only have a few minutes left, but I want to try to squeeze in one more caller. Uh, Gregory's calling from Rogers Park to ask you a question. Gregory, go ahead and ask Brandon your question. Good afternoon, Commissioner. A world-important city that wants to be considered world-class should have enough class not to have the cultural dysfunction which prevails over the 63 years I've been dealing with Chicago from time to time, which is that the vast majority of motorists do not realize it's state law that they're supposed to yield and provide safe passes for the pedestrian trying to get across the street. You only run into one on any given trip in the city, so it's not like that would be an encumbrance, and it would reduce the amount of jaywalking if they knew that when they go to the crosswalk, the waters would part and they'd get their safe passage. I'm proposing expansion of the Evanston red flag system, which is popping up around the world, where the people can pick up a stick with the red flag to signal it's my turn, you can see me now, and 
then they go across and put it in the container for the people coming back the other way. We have 25. I would like to add on to your question, Gregory, because there's also a lot of concern about bike lanes and what do we need to do. Uh, we want people to bike instead of drive, and yet a lot of people feel that the bike lanes, particularly downtown, are unsafe. Um, got a quick response to this in the time we have left, Brandon? Yeah, just real quick. I mean, look, we have to, let, first of all, let's, let, let me just acknowledge um you know, how street violence has just been absolutely just gruesome. Uh, the number of people who have lost their lives uh, because of, you know, just riding their bike or walking is just, it's, it's just awful, right? And so improving bike infrastructure, that's a part of my safe and reliable transportation, expanding um, traffic calming features, giving preferences to buses and bus-only lanes, uh, lowering the limits. Um, and more commercial uh, um, regulation on residential streets, just making more neighborhoods walkable. Obviously, I'm a supporter of plowing the sidewalks and, and making sure that, you know, Lakeshore Drive, in particular, DuSable Lakeshore Drive, is, 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 is in the hands of the people. So, um, look, I, I hear the concern. It's why I have the most robust, um, reliable transportation uh, plan that's available. Folks can check that out at brandingforchicago.com and it's going to take all of us you know really to build for a more transformational state that affects um, the livelihood and existence of all families in the city of Chicago so um, thank you for that call and he's spot on making it more affordable um, as well um, hiring more people so that it can be more reliable these are all dynamics that I'm supportive of and I'm happy to have the support of many of the transportation advocates around the city of Chicago. In uh, in the brief time we have left, what is your next public appearance that people can either attend or maybe watch online or on television or listen to on the radio? Yeah, that's good. So there's a couple of more forms that are coming up um, that people should, should tune into uh, tomorrow. Uh, we're doing um, an entire form around just um, how we have um, uh, better services and that we're treating the trauma. Um, there's another community's mayoral forum tomorrow evening at 7 o'clock at Roosevelt High School. But I just want people to know. And, of course, there's a WCPT forum on Thursday at the hideout. Um, people should check us out there at 6 o'clock. That should be a lot of fun. But, you know, they can go to my website. There's a lot of good information there. They can go to our Twitter handle, our Instagram at BrandonForChicago.com, and just know that, Joan, as we said at the top of the hour, an hour ago, went by so fast that our campaign is catching fire. And whether you live in Ravenswood or Inglewood, Jefferson Park, McKinley Park, Brighton Park, Morgan Park, everywhere you are in the city of Chicago, um, you deserve so much better. And our multicultural, multi-generational movement um, across this city that is calling for real equity and justice, black, brown, white, Asian, young, old, um, rich, poor, low-income, working class, we're coming together for a better, stronger, safer Chicago. And the movement is being heard in this moment. I know people are feeling a little insecure, a little less safe, and maybe even feeling a little bit of despair. But know that you're going to have a mayor in me that doesn't just love this city, but I love people. That's how I was raised. That's what I've done as a teacher, as an organizer, as a Cook County Commissioner. I'm going to invest in people. So I'm looking forward to February 28th, Punch 5, BrandonForChicago.com. And thanks again, Joan, for all of you working to the WCPT family. Thank you, Brandon, for being here today. Brandon Johnson, Cook County Commissioner, running to be the next mayor of the city of Chicago. We are going to take a break and come back with more news after this. 
There's no excuse to miss Joan Esposito. It's number one on my stereo. Live, local, and progressive. You can listen to her daily at WCPT820.com on your computer or phone.